There's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when David and his mighty men, all 600 of them, returned to a place called Ziglag where they had settled with their families, their children and wives and their possessions, only to discover when they got there that everything that mattered most to them was gone. And the Bible says that 600 men of war, they cried until they could not cry anymore. They cried until their eyes were swollen shut. And if you've ever had that kind of pain, brothers, sisters, you know what that may have felt like for them. I said that because sometimes when we say things from the pulpit, they can be the context not always clear, but the point I want to make is that men cry. Amen. Amen. Real men, real men cry because we hurt too. So when the Spirit moves you to shed tears, brothers, that is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Now, let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 3 as has been read in our hearing ably by uh, Brother Tim, my armor-bearer. I think he's still my armor-bearer now that he's driving in new things. I don't hear from him anymore during the week. But beginning in verse 11, we read, and he said, God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Let us pray. Father, we bless you, and we thank you again for what our ears have heard. Great is, great is thy faithfulness. And now, oh God, would you talk to us some more? Would you move in areas of our, of our lives that we may not realize that there, there's construction and demolition work that is yet to be done? And may we say, as the Spirit does his work, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. During the late 70s and early 80s, Flip Wilson was one of the funniest black comedians in America. He starred in the first televised weekly uh, show that was headed by a black uh, actor uh, that was named after himself, The Flip Wilson Show. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you lived back in those ancient times. But uh, he was one of my favorite. It was the second highest rated show on network TV. One of the many characters that Flip Wilson played was the right Reverend Leroy Jones. The name of the church he pastored was... The church of what's happening now. Whenever the Reverend 
Leroy Jones, the right reverend Leroy Jones, got caught saying something or doing something that he shouldn't have been doing as a minister, as a pastor, he coined the, the phrase that became very, the devil <laughs> made me do it, which meant that if he was gambling or out with another man's wife or smoking a, 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 something that he shouldn't have been smoking or drinking what he shouldn't have been drinking or, or rolling some dice down at the illegal casinos, uh, he would simply say, I'm not responsible. The devil made me do it. And by saying that, he somehow was no longer responsible. Uh, it would be really funny if that slogan hadn't caught on because uh, you could go through your day and talk to people and they jokingly would say, as they were doing things that they would not uh, want other Christians to see, they would say, oh man, the devil, the devil made me do it. He had no control, at least that was the implication of the slogan. How many of you know that the devil can't make you do anything you don't want to or say anything that you, won't, you don't want to say? In fact, the word of God puts it this way in James chapter 1. It says, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God, for God tempteth no man to do evil, but when every man is tempted, he is drawn away by his own lust, and when lust has been conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is completed, it brings forth death. God does not make you do wrong. He does not make me do wrong. Christians should not be saying, I can resist anything but temptation. And when I yield, it's not my fault. Why would God make women so pretty if he didn't want me to have them all? It's God's fault. If you're going to be a second-mile Christian, you need to make a decision that you are not going to play the, the blame game. Don't turn to my, don't play the blame game. The blame game has been called a number of things, such as passing the buck, blame shifting, Finger pointing. And here's how that happens. When you dead wrong as three left shoes, you point the finger and you do it, and you say whatever you're trying to use to divert the attention from yourself, you say it loudly. And the louder you are, the more convincing you sound. And the more you say what you're trying to be convincing saying it, the more you believe what you're saying, even though you're lying through your teeth. So passing the bug, blame shifting, finger pointing, scapegoating, excuses. We hear this a lot in the political arena. Pleading the fifth. Pleading the fifth. We don't want to incriminate ourselves. We want to shift the attention away from our acts to that which is going to exonerate us. Here's one of the things that my uh, son shared. Here's one that uh, you may be familiar with, the younger generation. It's called dry snitching. 
I'm not saying no names, but I know what happened, and it wasn't me. That's dry snitching. And then there's a more religious term called absolution. You can go into, if you're dying, your family can call um, a Methodist preacher, a Lutheran priest, or a Catholic priest, and they can absolve you from your sins. They can forgive you of your sins. No matter what you've done, even though you may not be conscious, they simply pray a prayer, and their prayer is believed to be sufficient enough to allow you to blame shift, not to take responsibilities for, first of all, acknowledging Jesus as your Savior, and then you can go into a confessional, and you can say you beat your kids, the dog, the cat, and you're sorry, and the priest will say, 10 Hail Marys, and uh, make sure you increase your offering. But he is not obligated. In fact, he is, re- he is uh, legally responsible to the church not to reveal what you shared in your private time of confession. And so you can be absolved of your sins even though you don't take responsibility for what you've done. Somebody say amen. amen. I want to join that kind of church. An author uh, that I read, uh, Pete Hamill, he had a good word for people who blame shift. He called it victimism. Victimism. Here's what that means. I'm glad you asked. It's what happens when people blame other people for their problems. It's a way of explaining why my life hasn't worked out the way I wanted to. You've been treated unfairly. You've uh, been given the short end of the stick. You, got, uh, a, the, you were dealt a bad hand. And if your father had been there, if your mother hadn't been so loud, if, they hadn't, if you weren't born in the ghetto, if you weren't born in the hood, if you weren't. And so victimism is basically not assuming responsibility for your actions, but remaining a victim by pointing the finger at others for things that you can change. Somebody say amen. Now, there are just three things that I want to talk about because this is so, we're going to see any meaningful relationship. If you're not able to own your stuff, if you got every excuse under the sun why you did not do what you should have done or I was going to or I I know I should have, can you own it? If you are unwilling, because you are able, you will never have a healthy relationship with anybody. No one will ever be able to be totally transparent with you because you're too busy trying to be perfect. Don't play the blame game. Don't play the blame game. Now, here are three things that I want to consider with you. First of all, deflecting blame isn't new. Pointing the finger at other folks while you got the match burning the house down and you pointing the firemen down the street, that's the arsonist, but you got the smoke and the flame, all that in your hand. It's not new. Secondly, we're going to consider dangerous consequences can and will occur when you blame shift. When you don't own up to your stuff, 
consequences result from that. And finally, deliverance is available for you that can set you free. Say deliverance, deliverance. is available for me. Now, here's what's interesting. Nobody taught us how to do this. It we're naughty by nature. We, blend, we, we, we came out of the womb pointing the finger. And so from time to time, each and every one of us have been, has been at fault. So don't, don't, don't say, oh, my husband's going to get it now. I'm so glad he's finally going to get it. My wife's going to finally. Yeah, I've been waiting for this kind of sermon. No, no. All of us have failed in this area of owning up to our own bad choices and behavior God calls sin. The first time this occurs is in the, in the Garden of Eden. It didn't have to. They were in a perfect in, environment. God placed the man there, and he told Adam to name the animals. And, and then after God had, uh, in six days, uh, he had completed uh, his work, the, 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 the earth was, 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 was empty, and then God filled the earth. And then finally God said, after Adam named the animals, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he caused a deep sleep to come over Adam. He took a rib out of Adam. He formed out of that rib the, the woman and sugar and spice and everything nice. And then he presented, after he had already instructed Adam regarding the vision for his family, he said, Adam, of all the trees in the garden, you can, have, you can eat from all of them. But the one that is in the midst of the garden, I forbid you to eat. For in the day, in the yom, in the 24-hour day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. He didn't tell Eve. That was the instruction he gave to Adam, who was supposed to be the spiritual covering for his wife. And you know the story. Eve got to listening to the rap of Satan. And women have been listening to raps of, of crooks from, from day one. All we got to do, I actually was talking to a brother at a barbecue, and he said he was joining the church. I said, oh, that's a great thing. He said, I need to learn the language so I can fix my rap so I can get me a Christian woman. I said, man, that's not the right reason to join the church. But Satan knew religious jargon, and that's how he got Eve's attention. She offered her husband the forbidden fruit, and Adam said, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to do right. And so the scripture says that the Lord said, who told you that you were uncovered? Who told you that what I call beautiful is ugly? Who told you that you should be ashamed of what I call glorious? And then he said, you know what, Lord? Let me just man up. Let me just own this thing since you made me the covering, since you told me what the vision was supposed to be, since I was supposed to be, no, I, 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 Lord, it's that woman. <laughs> Not only did he blame Eve for giving him the fruit and putting a gun to his head and twisting his arm and forcing the fruit in his mouth. That's not in the Bible. He, she didn't do any of that. She offered it to him. 
He also said, the woman you gave me. So God, if you had never given, it's God, it's your fault and that woman. Because if you hadn't brought, I was fine with you and me before you brought Eve. But this is the same dude who was saying, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Oh, my God. I think I'm going to call her Isha. I'm going to call her woman. And so now he's pointing the finger, blame shifting. I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, we got it honestly. We inherited the tendency to put our hand in the cookie jar but blame somebody else. The people of Israel blamed Moses after the spies had come back, 40 days and 40 nights. And they said, the land is everything that God said it was going to be. And then... Ten of the twelve spies, Caleb and Joshua, said everything that God said it was going to be, that's what it is. And then the ten spies said, but they're giants in the land. They're Nephilim. And they devour the inhabitants. They don't just eat Wheaties and cornflakes. They eat people. They eat toes and fingers and eyeballs. Mm. <laughs> and the Bible says that the people became depressed, and they cried. And then they said, verse 4 says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried, and the people wept all night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died, if we could just go back to the, our B.C. days, we could go back into the world. We could go back selling drugs. We could go back on the corner. If we had stayed in Egypt where we were making bricks without, without straw, that's what the devil will tell you when, you when you're under pressure, that it was better before you became a Christian. Why has the Lord, why, here we go, why has the Lord brought us up out of this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? And in verse 4, they got real spiritual. Let's Let's do away with this dude, Moses, and select us another leader. They blame Moses for leading them. Aaron was in there, but they ultimately, when everything goes down, they're looking at the pastor. This dude, because later on, they said, let us select another leader. They didn't say leaders, because they knew they could manipulate Aaron. And we're going to see that in the next example uh, and and, and that, when you get a chance, and I'm not going to read all these scriptures. Exodus 32, verses 20 through 24, Moses is in the mountain. He's receiving the tablets of God. He's been there for 40 days and 40 nights without water, without food, one-on-one -on -one with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And the folks down in the valley said, that dude is dead. Nobody can live that long without Burger King. How that dude making it without his Wendy's? And they said, Aaron, make us a God that we can follow back into Egypt. And listen what uh, uh, spiritual Aaron said, the, who was second in charge in Moses' place. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of the Lord become hot. Don't let God get angry with me. You know the people, it's their fault, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us and for this Moses, the man who, for this man, Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire. And look what came out. I just threw the gold into the fire. 
and jumped out of calf. He took no responsibility. It was all their fault. Moses, before you went up talking about the tablets of God, you knew what kind of people you left me with. You know they're bent towards evil. I'm not, I, I simply, yes, I said bring the gold. Yes, I th- but I am not responsible for this golden calf that you're looking at, nor am I responsible for obeying. I just did what I had to do. I had no choice. Pilate said to the Jews, would you have me to set Jesus free? He said, no, crucify him, crucify him. Paul said, I find no fault in him. He's done no wrong. Crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate took some water, and he said, I wash my hands of this man's blood. I'm not responsible. And they said, let the blood of this man's be, the Jews said, let the blood of Jesus be on our hands. Pilate was not absolved from his responsibility because he washed his hands. Because you pulled your shade down when you saw somebody being robbed. That doesn't mean that you're not somehow responsible for picking up the phone and dialing 911. It's because they gave you 50 extra dollars at the cashiers uh, as you were leaving, and it was their fault they made the mistake. Well, if they didn't want, if they were doing their job, they wouldn't have given me extra money. And obviously, the Lord knew I needed it because I've been praying for fifty dollars. I didn't say exactly that amount, but the Lord is, you know, he he said if you if you the Lord said I'll give you if you give ten percent, I'll give you one hundred percent. I just said, I mean, that, the Lord is good. <laughs> Pilate tried to blame shift. I washed my hands of this man's blood. In John chapter 9, there was a man who was born. He was sick for 38 years. And every single day, they would take him down to the welfare office, and they would lay him at the pool of Bethesda, the place of healing, the place of deliverance, the place of miracles. And the Bible says that Jesus was in that town at that time, and he approached the man, and he said that Jesus knew. How many of you know that the Lord knows when we're sick? He knew that he'd been sick for a long time, and he approached the man who was lying at the pool, and he said, do you want to be healed? And the man said, well, every time I try, someone goes to me. He blamed his circumstances. I would be healed if, if, I could, if somebody would help me. I would be healed. I'd have a job if somebody would call the boss for me. I'd have a job. It, 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 you know, I could pay my bills if I didn't spend it on gown. You know, sometimes we blame circumstances. And then Jesus says, do you want to be healed? I didn't ask you how you got here. I don't need a song and a dance. Yes, I can play the, 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 the violin and we can nobody know the trouble I sing. I can go there. But my question to you, if you want to be healed, you need to own up to the fact that there's something that you're going to need to do. And Jesus ultimately said, stand up. Stop licking your wounds. Stand up and be healed. And the Bible says that the man stood up and he was instantly. But if he hadn't stood up and he just continued to lie down on the ground, talking about you don't know what they did to me. They kicked dirt on me. They laughed at me. They called me names. And, and they know where I came from. And they tell me I don't smell good. And you know all the things they used to say. Okay. All right. You can stay right there in your situation. Blame shifting ain't new. A king 
decided that he was going to be Donald Trump. He was going to pardon some of uh, those who were in jail. And King has the authority to pardon. So he goes down to the local prison, and he reads the record of all of those prisoners who've been there for many years. And he knew beyond any doubt that the individuals that he was going to be talking to, they were all guilty beyond the shadow of doubt. So he began his visit. And he was there all day. Each prisoner he would visit, they would say, let me explain to you, O King. It was a setup. I really wasn't there. If they had DNA back then, they would know it wasn't me. It was someone else. And everybody had a, an ex everybody said they were innocent. And the, 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 the king came to the end of the day. He said, oh, my goodness. Everybody that's in jail is innocent. And then finally he said, look, let's get ready to go. And they said, oh, there's one more prisoner to interview. So he said, okay, one more. I'll do one more. And he comes to the prisoner's cell, and he falls down on his knees, and he holds the king's legs. He said, oh, king, everything that I've been accused of and more, I'm guilty. I've done everything they said I did, and I'm sorry. I do not deserve mercy. I do not deserve a pardon, but I'm simply falling at the mercy of the king and asking for forgiveness. And the king said, you're pardoned. And then as he's walking out of the prison with the man, and he's rejoicing, he's glad and celebrating, can't wait to get home to his family and, and, and to uh, uh, change his lifestyle, et cetera. And the other prisoners, they bang on the cell. They're, well, how are you letting him go? We told you we're innocent. He said, well, I don't pardon innocent people. How do you, how many understand that God gives grace to the humble? He opposes, he can't forgive you if you're proud. If you never did nothing, you don't need the blood. If you never did nothing, you don't need to pray. If you never did anything, you don't need grace. If you never failed, you don't need mercy. But he will pardon those who humble themselves. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. But you've got to come clean. But if you're involved in a blame game, you're going to be in prison. Dangerous consequences come when you blame, shift. Let me tell you one of the consequences. Blaming others keeps you in sin and away from God. God had to pursue Adam. They were hiding. That's what... That's what not owning our stuff will do. It makes us run because we're afraid. We're ashamed. We don't want to be found out. We don't want the consequences. But when you're running from the consequences, you actually are running to them because failure to admit when we do wrong allows you to remain in what you've done. Here's what David says in Psalm 32, 30, verses 3 through 4, he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones waxed away. I was depressed. When you're saved and you're in sin and you've done wrong, you're not comfortable. You're not, you, 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 you come under conviction because the Spirit of God is grieved. He said, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long for day and night. Your hand, God's hand was heavy upon me. 
Strength was slapped, snapped as the heat of the summer. When you do not come clean about your stuff, when you don't own it, you remain in sin and separated from God. That's the trick of the devil. Yes, I messed up, but you don't have to stay in the pig pen. You don't have to remain in your sin. That's what happens on every Saturday night. You, you get involved in this, that, and the other, and people, they get communion. They get up and they go as if somehow by not taking communion now, it's okay. No, you're just giving your excuse, yourself an excuse to continue to sin. And so what you want to do is you want to keep short accounts. The Bible says if you confess, homo legeo, if you confess your sin, if you agree with God, he is faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins. Some of us will never be whole because we're so crooked and dishonest. We have, we live, we've lived lies for our entire life. They're dark secrets that we would never reveal. And I'm not saying you, ever, you better tell everything. I was, uh, a woman came one time. She said, separate from her husband. And everybody's not going to agree. I ain't asking you to. She said, I was unfaithful to my husband. And I don't know what to do. She said, it's eating me up. She wanted to repent. And I probably need to be very careful with what else I say. So anyway... I had had a meeting with the husband earlier in the week, and he did something I'd never seen anybody do before. And I knew then that if that woman ever told him that she did what she did, she wouldn't be living today. What this guy did in my presence, and I said to her, like Jesus said in John chapter 8, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and they didn't bring the man, they just brought the woman, he said, where are your accusers after he you who are without sin. I told her, you need to repent. You've told me what you've done. Go and sin no more. If your husband does find out, because you're continuing, and I believe this, if you're doing something you're not supposed to do, and your mate is walking rightly, God's going, you don't have to be chasing them down and private investigating them. No. No, God will bring to light what is done in the dark. The issue is the reason he hasn't revealed it yet is because you're not ready to receive it. You would lose your mind if he showed you what you've been demanding to know. You're not ready for it. So I said, to, I said, look, if he finds out, and I guarantee you he will if you continue, you tell him that his pastor said not for you not to tell. And then I would be in a position where I'm saying to him, when I saw you do what you did in your anger, I was concerned about your wife's life. That marriage has been restored. It's better than it's ever been. But there could have been a fatality. And so you don't want to remain in your sin. That's why you need to say, this is mine. This is me. I left this plate on the table. The boogeyman didn't do this. My mother used to have sodas in the refrigerator. That was a lost cause. Don't ever put an unfinished drink in our refrigerator. <laughs> we would leave a corner, and then she would go through the process. Who, 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 who? And of course, nobody did. The ghost did it. 
Here's another thing that happens when we fail to take ownership of our, of our, of our, of our bad choices and actions. Blame shifting prevents you from growing spiritually. You can't grow. You are a spiritual stump. You got some weed around the stump, but there's no fruit. There are people who've been saved for 20, 30 years, no fruit. And sometimes you can trace it back to they did it to me, and if they had said they were sorry, if he had approached me, if they really want to make it right, you're waiting for somebody to do what God already told you to do. And what you don't understand is that poison has been taken by you. And now you're not growing. But scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, put off the old man and put on the new man. In order to put the new man on, you've got to deal with the old stuff. But if you don't identify what's old and needs to be changed and confess it and come clean with the Lord, you can't change. The worst I hear people say, I love my husband, but I'm not in love with him. Okay. Let, let's, let's sort that out. What that really means often is you're carnal and you haven't grown spiritually. But it also could mean that you're with a person that you met them at a certain point in your life and you married them and settled with them based on where you were, not where you were going. Now, now, that would be problematic if there wasn't the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit enables you to grow and become everything that God wants you to be. And so the issue is, can you grow from where you were when you started? But you aren't going to grow if you are in denial. There are people who actually need to be psychiatrically evaluated because our defenses are so built up to protect, protect ourselves. So we deny. You deny. I don't have no cold. <laughs> By his grace, I'm here. <laughs> By his stripes, I'm <laughs> Wait a minute. You got a cold. And, and, and back away from me. Denial doesn't make the cold go away. I'm the head and not the tail, and so I'm going to give my rent to the church. No, when you go home and you got the padlock on your door and a, a notice for eviction, that's not God. That's you making bad decisions and then signing God's name at the, on the check. He ain't responsible for signing checks he never wrote. That check is going to bounce. You're going to be on the street. We'll be, amen, I don't we'll be visiting you on our, on our outreach. <laughs> you will not grow spiritually until you can. In it, uh, people that are perfectionistic, obsessive compulsive, here's another, anal retentive, always have to get every T crossed. They don't know how to laugh at themselves. You take yourself too seriously. 
And everybody else sees that you don't have no clothes on. You the king, you butt naked talking about you got a new suit of clothes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And it's called fool. The garments of a fool. Let me run on. Come on, stay with me. Help me out. Blame shifting can prevent you from being healed. Sometimes we are physically sick because there's something that you need to confess that you have. Now, let me give a disclaimer. Everybody who's sick is not guilty of unconfessed sin. Here's what the scripture says in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, when you get your hand. Confess your tra- trespasses to one another. That's the responsible part. There's some stuff you've done to people. Don't you just go to some confessional booth and tell the past, tell the priest, yeah, I slapped her, I kicked her, I stabbed her, and I'm playing. No, 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 that's not. It says to one another, confess and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this is the part we always quote, the fervent effectual prayers of the righteous avail much. The ones that avail much are the ones that follow confession of personal sin. So your healing may be being withheld. And tried every medication, every treatment, and you're still sick. Or you don't even know what's wrong with you. You know something's wrong. And the Bible says that what's wrong is you haven't confessed. You haven't owned your wrong. And when you do, I will, through prayer, heal you. Stay with me. Here's another part that happens. Not only will you get healed, but there's restoration. There's relationships that are broken. The prodigal son, the Bible says, when he came to himself, he said, I will return to my father. And he said, I am going to say to my father, I have sinned. And I'm going to humble myself. I'm not coming back talking about give me my room, give me my bed, give me my flat screen TV. No, I'm coming back and say, Lord, make me the least of your servants. That's what humility says. Humility does not choose the consequences. Humility says, I'm at your mercy, God. Whatever you choose to do, I just want to be forgiven. I just want you to be, I'm wrong. I'm repenting. Restoration can occur in a marriage, in a relationship, when you own yours. That's what happens when marriages go wrong. We're so busy pointing at the other person that we forget that God is going to, and we, I don't jump ahead, he's, you're going to be responsible for your actions. He cussed me. He ain't the only one who can cuss. And yeah, back in the day, when women used to take it when men slap them around. But Me Too movement that taught me how I can use my hands too. And if I can't use my hands, I'm going to show you something that shines, that has a big bark when it's pulled. It's called the Smiths and Wesson. Blaming others prevents you from truly trusting or totally trusting God because you focus on what you see rather than what God has said. You can't trust God. The real reason we blame shift, which is, and I'm going to show you, it's a spirit. 
is that we make every excuse under the sun why we don't want to be uncomfortable, why we want to be safe. The Lord says, Caleb and Joshua, enter in. God said it's ours. Let's just get to stepping. Let's just get to be obedient. And as we go, God will give us what he promised. He's never broken a promise. But when you blame shift, oh, no, I can't do that. Giants in the land. Oh, no, I can't do that. I got to get up an extra hour. Oh, no, I can't read my Bible and have devotion. I'm too busy. Oh, no, I can't pray with my family. I'm this, I'm that. We got every excuse under the sun why we can't trust God. That's what blame shifting will do, keep you from fully trusting God. Blame shifting, here's the, here's the other consequence. You know what you invite? A divine beatdown. The Bible says God chastens those who he loves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, it says, let a man examine himself. God doesn't want to have to chasten us. He doesn't want to have to discipline you or me. But if you examine yourself, he says, when you don't, you don't rightfully, and he's talking about the Lord's table, but this applies across the board applicationally. For, for this reading, some of you are sick, others are weak. And he said, I've even taken out of the world people that won't deal with their sin. Somebody say amen. amen. Blame shifting is dangerous. It keeps you from what God has for you. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth sets you free. When you tell the truth about yourself, starting with being honest with yourself, that was the biggest issue for me growing as a, as a new minister, pastor out of seminary. I lied to myself. I thought ministers were supposed to be able to listen to everything counselees wanted to tell you, and women will tell you everything. They don't, they'll tell you everything. And I'm thinking, okay, what did he do then? And, and where did he touch that? And I'm listening. I'm, I didn't need to know that. I was wrecking myself. And I, I, I am a young minister listening to things that I shouldn't be listening to. I wasn't quite, I didn't need to need, know that. And now I'm, I'm mature enough to say, sis, I don't need to know that. Hmm. Or I'll say, let me bring my wife into Then the conversation sometime, somehow changes. The details become less specific. I don't know what it is about people want to tell the preacher all of the dirt. But when the, no, no, no. My point is that if you don't deal with your lifestyle that displeases God, he will deal with you. I don't care how many degrees, how many things you try to set up and who you know and all the context and networking. You need to get this right with God because if he loves you, if you belong to him, he would be less than a good father if he didn't chasten us, discipline us spiritually when we don't come clean. Somebody say amen. Examine yourself. Stop blaming everybody for what you the stuff that you're doing. I never saw my father. My father uh, was killed when I was two years old. If someone showed me a picture of him today, I wouldn't recognize him. My father was, the story that I'm told is that he was preparing to rob something and a gun was discharged. Very popular, uh, people 
donated blood, but like us, when he got shot, he tried to run away from wherever he was, bled to death. So I could say, that was unfair. It, it was. I didn't grow up with my natural father. And therefore, I decided that I'm going to take out the lack of father in, impact on my life. I'm going to take it out on every, you know, my mother, my Why did he do this to me? It ain't fair. It's horrible. It's terrible. But guess what God did? He, he gave me a stepfather who taught me how to work who taught me how to take care of a family. And then the Lord gave me men in the church. We don't have any excuse. Show me how to love my wife and to take care of my children, how to go before the Lord in prayer, and how to know that he would never forget me, never leave me, that my hand was, my name is written in the hand of God. And if God had a refrigerator with pictures, my picture's on God's wall. I belong to him. I don't have an excuse to wild out. Deliverance is available. Say, deliverance is available. Here's the first thing that needs to happen. When you see a person that you are living with or know, and they always write, and the closest thing sometimes when people who are arrogant and that's just, a, that's just a cloak for another. That's not the, the, the root problem. Is <clears throat> before you can help somebody else, you need to remove the telephone pole out of your own eyes. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, it says, let me remove, uh, uh, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck, the splinter, out of your eye and, 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 and look, a plank, a telephone pole, a, a bus is in your eye. Hypocrite, first remove the, the telephone pole out of your eye, then you will be, see clearly to remove the speck. And so if you're going to help somebody that won't own up, then you need to make sure that you're not guilty of the same sin. And here's how we do that. I am intentional about being transparent. I'm not trying to be like a lot of pastors, only tell you what they overcame. I'm the cavalry riding in. I, you know, I'm going to rescue everybody because I've gotten over everything that I'm ever going to say to you all sinners. No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Ask that woman sitting right over there. She'll tell you. Remove the beam out of your own eye. Then reach out to people that have wronged you privately. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if someone offends you, don't wait for them to make it right with you. Own your part of it. You are hurt. You are bothered. You didn't think it was fair. You felt like what was done was intentional. The Bible says, Go to them, not to somebody else, so they can feel sorry for you too. Go to the person in private and be reconciled. Make it right. Acknowledge to them that what you are doing is hurting me. That is what pleases God. Not licking your wounds, holding on to hurts. 
They do it every Sunday. They on, they on purpose. They may do it every Sunday on purpose, but what are you doing in response? Your response from the word of God is to go to that person. Come on, church. That's where supernatural power is released and the devil is put to flight. Come here, get thee behind me. I put the devil under my feet. I rebuke that thing. No, you ain't rebuking nothing until you do what God, you can say whatever you want to say, but what are you willing to do to make it right? Rebuke the spirit of blame shifting whenever it rises up in your life. The Bible says, judge the spirits, multiple spirits, whether the spirit is of Christ. When you're talking to somebody and you're trying to work something out, you're not trying to be right. You want to make it right. And you need to stop. Wait, 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 wait. What spirit is that you're operating under right now? What spirit is that? You need to ask yourself, is this the spirit of Christ that is making me afraid? Is this the spirit of Christ that's causing me to behave this way? And the truth be told, if you flat out honest, you're right in the flesh. Hey, nothing but your flesh. And some of us have lived this way for so long, we're like addicts. That's all we know is to say yes to whenever the flesh says bow, we bow. And we do what it says. Judge, figure out what, what spirit is at work. Because blaming others is a spirit. And it, here, the, 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 what we often, it's a spirit of arrogance, insecurity, and stubbornness that, that remains comfortable in ignorance. Sometimes you, you've been some, a certain way for so long, you don't even know you smell like a skunk. He got that. Because we become desensitized to odors. We become desensitized to habits. We just, you don't even think about it. You go to bed at night, you don't even need to turn the light on. You know, you, you know what you do, you do. It's a, it's a habit. What spirit is it? And here's the spirit behind arrogance and pride and stubbornness that makes us deny that we're operating in, in a spirit of self Centeredness that makes me us deny you're afraid. The spirit behind pride, the root cause is fear. It's fear. Because if you really come clean and tell people how scared you really are, how you really don't know what you're doing, <laughs> and how you're struggling, that makes you vulnerable. They can, next argument, guess what's coming up? Yeah, I know you don't like being in the dark. <laughs> And so, rebuke the spirit when it rises. Receive correction. If somebody brings it to your attention, you go to a counselor, and I spend hours with you, and counseling is work. Somebody say amen. amen. Helping people is work, but it's worth it if they receive the correction. Listen to what the Proverbs said. We're almost done. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 12, 12, 1, that's the scriptures. If somebody tells you that, look, this is going to get you into trouble if you don't admit it, you submit that application and you left off that you spent 15 years in prison, you are going to be found to be fraudulent. That's an exaggeration, okay? All right? 
But my point is, if, if somebody, you should receive, correct, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to correction gains intelligence, Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself, you're going to get abused. When you try to help people and you're counseling them, you're getting in the dirt and the mug with them, you can expect to be, you're going to become their target. They're going to get mad at you. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. At some point, when you're talking to somebody who's a fool, who is stu- who not, re- I didn't call you stupid, the Bible did. And they just, a brick wall they ain't receiving. The Bible said, don't waste your time. Don't cast your pearls. Stay with me. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach righteous men and women, and he will increase in learning. So you got to receive correction. Some people, you can't tell them anything. As long as you, oh, you're the greatest in the world. Man, if I was just like you. And you say, no. Why are you doing that? That's not right. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they're quiet, and they don't want to, you know. Somebody said, I'm doing much better. I'm going to find me a Christian woman once I learn the vernacular. And we're heading down to Atlantic City, and we get these young girls. And we just take seven. I mean, this is grown men talking to me in church. He said, that's all right. And I said, no, that's not all right. He said, well, why don't you help me out? Show me some scripture. So I said, I'm going to text them to you. So I text 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whoremongers, adulterers, <laughs> sodomites will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> then I text him later. He said, thank you. <laughs> and I text him some more scripture. A fool, a wise man receives instruction, but a fool rejects. Finally, refuse to accept blame for what you haven't done while remaining faithful to your responsibility. It's one thing. I didn't do that. I'm not owning that. You upset, you angry, you mad. By the way, no one can make you angry. Ten people can be in the same situation and only one out of ten get angry. It's what, how, you, how you interpret what is being done that determines your anger. You are responsible for your feelings. I'm not saying your anger is wrong, but don't give anybody that kind of authority and power. God doesn't even make you angry. You, have to, you can choose. You, the Bible says be angry, but sin not. You made me do. You made me hit you. You made me cheat. Nobody made you do that. You decided to do that, and it was wrong. You made me gamble. You made me stay out all night. No, I didn't. Nobody is responsible for your choices. We, blame, we, we tell that lie to ourselves all the time. You made me eat that. No, you didn't. I am overweight because of you. No, you are overweight because you won't stop eating what you shouldn't eat. I am unhappy because of you. My joy ain't sourced in you. Jesus is the source of my joy. He is the light of my, Jesus is, not some other human being.
refuse to accept. When you get a chance, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, it's okay to suffer for righteousness' sake. But don't suffer because you're guilty of lying and busybodying. So when someone else is trying to make you responsible for their happiness or, or their behavior, don't accept that. But that doesn't mean you get to get even. You still remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Husband said, my wife this, my wife that. And I said, well, here's what you do. Wait a minute, what did I do? I'm telling, I'm telling you to be obedient to God when you're telling me how bad your wife is treating you. Because God is not going to hold you accountable, and that's the last thing. Remember that you're not a victim, you're a victor, and that you and I will stand before Almighty God to give an account for yourself. You're not going to be judged for what I did. I'm not going to be judged for what you've done. In Romans 14, verse 12, you're going to be judged because of what you've done. A woman came to a pastor. She had a large shopping bag, and it was filled with index cards back in the day when index cards were in use. And there was typewritten notes on both sides of the card, and the bag was filled to the brim. And she slammed the bag down on the pastor's desk. She said, my husband is killing me. She said, my hair is falling out. My nails are broken. My skin is a mess. I can't sleep. The doctor says I have ulcers. I don't have an appetite. I'm depressed. The man is killing me. The pastor said, well, how, how is he killing you? She said, see these cards? She said, for the last 15 years, I have recorded every single thing that man ever did to me. He's killing me, pastor. And the pastor said, he's not killing you. Your unforgiveness is killing you. I would grow if they treat me better. I would enjoy my life more if, I would, if, if they wouldn't be so harsh. And if I had a father, if my mother had been more loving, if, if my sisters and brothers included me, I would be a better Christian. I would be stronger. No, you wouldn't because to not accept that you have a responsibility is what's preventing you from being everything that the Lord intends for you to be. Will you agree with me? Today, it ends it. No more blaming others for what I am responsible. I'm not going to wait for you to apologize to me. I'm going to come to you. And, I, and if you don't accept it and you don't want to work, that's between you and God. But as for me and my house, I am going to serve the Lord because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But I'm in bondage until I obey. No more blame shifting. No more excuses. No more licking my wounds. You don't have a right to remain angry. You don't have a right to be getting even. The person that you're hurting is you. Let's pray.